Hello, this is Lisa, CEO of Site for White and White Sense, welcoming you to this week's Talking News on Friday the 23rd of February 2024. I'm sorry, I think we can all agree the weather has become extremely miserable and we are all waiting for spring to pop up. I know that Stridus has had to be cancelled this week due to the absolute waterlog everywhere on the island. We did ask two different people to walk the walk and they both agreed that it was just too wet and too treacherous for people. This week, after the coffee morning, Daniel Phillips from the NHS came online and met some of our members. Daniel has been tasked with managing the Hampshire and Isle of Wight NHS Voices. This is a programme that has been set up to gain as wide input as possible from general public asking about specific things about the NHS. It is not specific to a condition. It is asking general questions about people's understanding of the NHS, their experiences of it, and how therefore things can be improved. Thank you so much to the members who stayed along and joined in with the conversation. Daniel is extremely pleased with the results and most importantly is going to make immediate changes to the survey to help with accessibility. I'd like to point out a change of time, not a change of date. The Site for White Members Forum has been publicised to be the 27th of March after the coffee morning. However, due to Ion Social that day, we have moved the Members Forum back to 10 o'clock and therefore it will happen at the start of the coffee morning and we hope this will also mean that further people won't engage. At this forum, members can put forward any concerns or any suggestions that they have and I will give an update of everything that we have been doing as a charity. We hope to see as many people as possible there. So that is Wednesday the 27th of March at 10am. Thank you everybody. Try to stay dry. Lisa, CEO, thank you. Here is this week's charity news for the 23rd of February 2024. If anyone is coming to Middlebrook House on Monday, please be aware that we have tree works being carried out in the car park. Parking will be limited, and if you could postpone coming in until another day, it would probably be best. Swimming is on Monday between 1.15 and 2.15pm at Medina Leisure Centre in Newport. The cost is £6 plus transport. We have the whole use of the pool and you can enjoy lane swimming or just gentle relaxation in the water. Yoga is cancelled this Tuesday but will return to Millbrook House on March the 5th between 1.45pm and 2.45pm. The cost is £4 and includes refreshments. All are welcome. Our God's Hill Coffee Morning is next Tuesday, the 5th of March, and this is held at the Old Smithy in God's Hill between 10.30am and 12pm. Everyone is very welcome. Our weekly coffee and chat is on Wednesday at Millbrook House between 10am and 11.30am. The cost is £2, which includes coffee and cake. Staff are always on hand to help with any inquiries and equipment will be available to try out. Thursday is Mix and Mingle. This group meets between 10.30am and 2pm every week. Booking for this group is essential and at the moment there is a waiting list for people to join. On Wednesday, our Ion Social group is welcoming Rachel from the Gift to Nature. This group is open to everyone, so please come along. It starts at 2pm at Millbrook House. Please come along and support us. Family, friends and neighbours are very welcome. Refreshments afterwards will be served. 
and knitted Easter egg covers are arriving now at Millbrook and will be on sale from March the 1st at the suggested donation of £2. If anyone would like a basket of chicks, we can always gift wrap for you if you call the office. Our monthly 100 club has spare balls available. If anyone would like to buy a ball, it is £2 per month or £24 for the full year. The more balls in the draw, the higher the prize money each month. If you would like to take part in our monthly draw, please call the office. And this is part of our fundraising activities. If you would like to join any activity or want more details, please call the office on 522205. Hi, this is Steve reading a story from the Isle of Wight Radio, headlined, Spend a Penny. Pay to use toilets planned for Yaverland Beach Car Park. Public toilets at a popular Isle of Wight beach could be replaced by state-of-the-art but pay-to-use facilities. Currently, the toilets at Yaverland in the public car park are free. In new plans from Sandown Town Council, approved at its meeting earlier this week, members agreed to get a loan to provide new facilities at the popular site, opposite the Wild Heart Animal Sanctuary. The Town Council has agreed in its budget for the next financial year to include the provision for a £250,000 public works board loan to replace the Yaverland toilets. It would be repaid over 12 years, with repayments costing around £27,000 a year. The Council agreed to provide the facilities through a new unit, similar to those it recently opened at Eastern Gardens further round the bay, but with a different facade. A spokesperson for the Town Council said they hoped they could be installed and operational in time for summer 2025. The toilets would be provided by Danfo, with one disabled cubicle and three standard unisex ones with two external showers. Other work is still required before the toilets can be installed, including design specifications and securing planning permission. The Town Council has recently agreed to increase the fees to use public toilets in Sandown to 50 pence all year round, instead of falling to 20p in the winter. Hello, this is an article from the Island Echo, read by Sue. Police officer cleared of gross misconduct after alleged use of force against child. An Isle of Wight police officer who was accused of using excessive force on a child has been cleared of a gross misconduct, but has received a written warning. PC Stuart Pearson, who has served with Hampshire and Isle of Wight Constabulary for more than 15 years, attended a public misconduct hearing in Southampton this week in relation to an incident that occurred on the 21st of June 2022, as previously reported by the Island Echo. It was alleged that the officer used excess force on an 11-year-old boy as he attended the home address of the youth to complete a community resolution order. It was said that this fell below the professional standard expected in relation to use of force and authority, respect and courtesy. However, the panel holding the misconduct hearing has ruled that the officer's actions against the naughty schoolboy, whose behaviour was described as unpleasant, were in fact justified. 
PC Pearson has been cleared of gross misconduct. Although cleared of gross misconduct, PC Pearson has received a written warning for breaching the professional standards of behaviour in respect of bending over the child and shouting at him. PC Pearson, who in 2017 was recognised with a Victim Satisfaction Bronze Award after receiving six or more positive pieces of feedback from victims of crime, has apologised for his actions. Ventnor Town Council sets 9% council tax increase from the Isle of Wight radio read by Lee. Ventnor Town Council agreed to increase its precept council tax by 9% for the next financial year at its budget meeting last night, Tuesday. This was reduced from 11.2% proposed in the agenda papers after Ventnor West Councillor Ian Bond proposed that the council anticipate a further staff savings during the early part of the year and use these to cover some of the project spend in the budget. Councillor Bond said there was widespread concern at the suggestion made at our December meeting of a tax increase of 16.6% and I have been working with the Mayor and Finance Officer to try and bring this down. This is a difficult year for many residents and I am pleased that the latest changes may have brought our increase down into single figures and that we have dropped the town crier project that many residents felt would not be a sensible use of funds. We also need to work with Ventnor Fringe to renew and enhance the electrical supply in the park and cover the cost of the CCTV needed to protect our public toilets from vandalism. The agreed budget provides for the beach safety team to work through the summer and be lifeguard trained, CCTV for the Esplanade toilets and renewal of the electricity supply in Ventnor Park. The VTC Precept Council tax for the next year will be £105.90 at Band D, compared to £170.57 for the current year. This is Dane, reading an article from Isle of Wight Radio. New door needed at Iconic Needles Lighthouse as modernisation work continues. A new watertight door is needed at the Isle of Wight's Iconic Needles Lighthouse. Trinity House, the official lighthouse authority in England, has put the plans forward as part of modernisation works for the 165-year-old lighthouse. The Needles Lighthouse has been undergoing its 20-25 to year review to ensure it is fit for purpose for the next 20 or so years. It is proposed to fit a new stainless steel watertight door over the top of the current pair of bronze heritage doors. The existing doors are at least 70 years old, but could have been added when the lighthouse was first built in 1859. As the lighthouse is now remotely manned from Essex and has been since 1994, the way engineers leave the lighthouse means the doors cannot be properly secured to withstand a storm and the strong waves that come with it. Due to that, Trinity House said the doors have failed multiple times as they are beaten open by the waves, causing flooding and are not fit for purpose. 
As the technicians visit the lighthouse months apart, the water ingress can go unnoticed for a long time, which co- while causing damage to the Grade 2 listed building. In March last year, the Isle of Wight Council refused a previous plan for a new external door as it would harm the special character of the building because of its flat and projecting design, highly reflective appearance and method of fixing. Responding to the planning authority's concerns, Trinity House has proposed a flat door which would seal against the round structure of the lighthouse tower and mean it cannot be pushed open by the force of the sea. The door would be unpolished stainless steel, and would be weathered throughout its life, becoming a duller grey colour, Trinity House said. A suggestion from the Isle of Wight Council was to add another internal door behind the heritage ones, but Trinity House said that would not be a viable alternative, as it means the doors would likely be damaged further and ultimately lost. You can visit the plans... 23 forward stroke 02224 forward stroke capital letters LBC on the Isle of Wight Council's planning register. Comments can be submitted until March the 16th. Hello everyone, this is Steve reading a story from the Island Echo headlined Is Soundown an Arson Hotspot? A look back on the town's suspicious hotel fires. The public's attention has once again turned to the growing number of suspected arson attacks on hotels in Sandown, with no fewer than 10 serious incidents reported by Island Echo over the past 12 years. It's Saturday morning's Parkbury Hotel blaze that has reignited discussions on the state of Sandown and how many fires have been fought in the town in recent years. Some sites have been redeveloped, but others have been left derelict, an eyesore for the predominantly tourist town. Island Echo now takes a look back on the notable incidents involving suspected or possible arson. It's understood that no one has ever successfully been prosecuted for any of the fires listed. The Savoy in Avenue Road. In December 2011, just before Island Echo began publishing, A major fire ripped through the once Grand Savoy, which saw over 50 firefighters from the Isle of Wight Fire and Rescue Service tackling the blaze throughout the night. It was one of the first incidents where Cobra was used by local fire crews. Police at the time said that arson could not be ruled out completely, but there was no evidence of foul play. The building stood in a charred and dangerous state until it was demolished in 2016. The site has remained a wasteland ever since. The Royal Cliff Hotel on Beachfield Road. It was back in October 2014 that the Royal Cliff in Sandown was destroyed by fire, with police treating the matter as arson. In total, around 25 firefighters tackled the blaze overnight, with nothing more than a shell left by morning. The site has since been redeveloped into luxury apartments. The San Moritz and Tarvik II on Culver Parade. It was in September 2018 that these two hotels were severely damaged by fire. The matter was investigated as arson, which led to a Portsmouth woman in her 60s being charged. However, the case against her was later dropped due to a lack of evidence that she had discarded a cigarette.
both hotels have been left untouched since the fire and remain a blight on the seafront landscape. The Esplanade Hotel on the Esplanade A break-in back in July 2020, during the height of the COVID pandemic, led to a fire being started at the Esplanade. Two sets of fire were located within the building by responding firefighters, but the incident was quickly contained. The hotel now has planning permission to be converted into apartments. The Ocean Hotel on the Esplanade A devastating fire ripped through the ocean in May 2021, prompting an arson investigation. The blaze occurred just a month after the property had been sold. The former hotel remains an eyesore and is subjected to ongoing legal disputes between the owners and the local authority. There have been a number of small fires associated with the building since, such as in June 2023 and August 2023, mainly connected with squatters and children breaking in. The Grand Hotel and Culver Parade The Grand has been subject to at least two fires in recent years, in late 2021 and the more significant incident in January 2022. Each time, the fire has been contained to the rear of the Art Deco building, which is currently undergoing refurbishment. The Parkbury on Broadway In July 2022, fire crews rushed to the Parkbury when smoke was seen issuing from the roof space of the derelict hotel. This prompted a joint investigation to be launched between the fire service and the police. Firefighters also attended a shed fire in the grounds of the hotel in April last year. It was just last week that the Parkbury, off the Broad Bay, was badly damaged by a blaze in the early hours. Bomb disposal experts were then called out when an aerosol can was found rigged with a fire lighter. This is the latest suspicious fire to hit Sandown, but will it be the last? Other fires in Sandown? The former Stonehaven Assisted Living Facility was targeted in May 2021, just a week after the Ocean Hotel blaze, with police treating the incident as arson. In September 2021, Hampshire and Isle of Wight Fire and Rescue Service attended a fire at Channel View Hotel on Royal Street. This was not deemed to be connected to any arson, with the fire starting in the hotel's laundry room. In April 2023, 59-year-old Andrew Turner was sentenced to five years in prison for arson after setting fire to his own Beachfield Road home in a bid to get revenge on his partner. Hello, this is an article from the Isle of Wight Radio, read by Sue. Health watchdog welcomes dental bus to Isle of Wight. But more needs to be done. A dental bus which will visit the Isle of Wight in March has been welcomed by a health watchdog. But the organisation says more needs to be done to fix the island's dentist crisis. Healthwatch Isle of Wight has revealed the mobile service will be here for a week every month starting from March and will visit Newport, Ride, Sandown and the West White. The island has lost five NHS dental practices in the past year, leading to what Healthwatch has called a huge reduction in care. The consumer champion says more residents are having to travel to the mainland to access NHS dentists, with others resorting to do-it-yourself dentistry. NHS Hampshire and Isle of Wight, which is in charge of commissioning dental services, 
is working with Dentaid, the dental charity to provide the service. Treatment for eligible patients will be free. Healthwatch says it is pleased to be supporting the dental bus, but has urged health bosses to go further. Joanna Smith, Healthwatch Isle of Wight manager, said, We have been working tirelessly with dental commissioners to facilitate this additional service, but more needs to be done to reduce the inequality that exists, particularly for people on the island where access is amongst the poorest in the region. We are very grateful to all those who have contacted us to share their experience, which has given us the evidence to highlight these serious issues. The Isle of Wight Council's Public Health Director was contacted for a comment, but a spokesperson said it was a matter for the Integrated Care Board. Waste Recovery Plant enters final testing some five years late from the Island Echo, read by Lee. After a massive five-year wait, final testing is underway at the Energy from Waste Plant on Forest Road in Newport. The Forest Road facility was supposed to have become operational in May 2019, but has been beset by delays and unforeseen technical issues that original completion date was pushed back to January 2022 due to the pandemic and then pushed back once again to July 2022. 18 months on and the saga continues. During testing in January, the Isle of Wight Council said the plant exported through energy 386,663 kilowatts to power just over 7,000 houses for a week, based on average consumption. The aim of the plant is to use non-recyclable rubbish to generate renewable electricity continuously for up to 5,000 island houses. Work started to build the energy from waste plant in April 27 and the county hall has confirmed it did not have to pay for the hold-ups. An Isle of Wight council spokesman said the facility is now nearing completion and has undergone hot commissioning, which means it was tested and run under real conditions. Waste contractor, Ferrovial, used a test to optimise the required temperatures and the processing of waste-derived fuels. The final testing was supposed to be completed last autumn, as reported by the Island Echo in August. A spokesman for the Isle of Wight Council has said the final testing stage is underway and a strict process must be adhered to. The Council and an independent certifier are closely supervising the commissioning tests to ensure the facility meets operational standards and provides the island with a long-term solution for non-recyclable waste disposal, generating electricity with a potential for heat recovery. Local media have never been invited to the site. This is Dan reading an article from the Island Echo. Will the Isle of Wight bring home another national tourist superstar award? Islanders are being urged to take part in a national online vote to see a group of local enthusiasts named winners in the Visit England Tourism Superstar competition. Visit England's Tourism Superstar recognises the very best of those in the industry who provide an unforgettable visitor experience in England. Voting has gone live, which sees the Isle of Wight ramblers representing all volunteer walk leaders of the Isle of Wight Walking Festival in the competition. 
The Isle of Wight nomination is the only entry in the South to have made it to the final shortlist and will be fending off competition from Gateshead, Bury St Edmunds, the Peak District, Leicester, Chipping Norton, Birmingham, Coventry, North Yorkshire and Lancashire. David Howarth from the Isle of Wight Ramblers has said, We are delighted to be one of the ten finalists in this national competition. We represent the many volunteers who make the Isle of Wight Walking Festival a real success. It's great to be part of a successful team. The winners are decided by a public vote during the next couple of weeks. So please do vote now. It would be a brilliant accolade for the island if we could be named Tourism Superstar for the third time in six years. With just weeks until voting closes, time is short to get behind the island nominees. You can vote for your superstar at visitenglandawards.secure-platform.com Will Miles, Managing Director at Visit Isle of Wight, has said, I urge everyone to get behind the volunteer walk leaders and the Isle of Wight and vote in this incredible competition now. We are very proud to have had an Isle of Wight entry to the Visit England Tourism Superstar especially given the history of the island's incredible record of tourism superstar winners in 2018 and again in 2020. What makes this year particularly fantastic is that the Isle of Wight nominees are representing all the local volunteer walk leaders of the Isle of Wight Walking Festival, who each year make the festival one of the best loved in the UK. It is particularly fitting that the Ramblers and Volunteer Walk Leaders are nominated in this, the 25th anniversary of the Isle of Wight Walking Festival. And winning would be a fitting tribute to everyone who has made this event what it is today. Let's bring the Visit England Tourism Superstar Award home once more. Hi, this is Steve reading a story from the Ireland Echo. Headlined, Scriptwriter Ray's donation of £1,000 to Dover Park will fund books and drama stage. A donation of £1,000 has been handed over to Dover Park Primary School thanks to a bequest by Ray Allen, the famous ride scriptwriter who pens some mothers do have him. This kind act aims to support the school's ongoing efforts to provide the children with the best educational experience possible, and to foster a love of reading. Ray sadly passed away a couple of years ago, but as he was so passionate in his belief that everyone should be able to read, he had left some funds for the school in his memory. His wife, Nancy, kindly raised further money to further enhance the donation. The funds will primarily be used to fund the purchase of new library books, ensuring that Dover Park's children will have an even wider range of reading materials to explore and enjoy. In addition, a portion of the donation will be allocated towards the renovation of the school's playground stage, creating a vibrant space for the children to engage in creative and imaginative play in their break times. To commemorate this special occasion, the children were treated to clips from the classic comedy show Some Mothers Do Have Em, which was written by Ray from his home in Halens. 
The children's enjoyment was evident, bringing joy to all who witnessed it and a school hall full of laughter. Reflecting on this heartwarming experience, Nancy Allen expressed her hope that the funds raised can be used to further enrich the lives of the children at Dover Park. Dover Park School head teacher Mr Kirby expressed heartfelt gratitude to Nancy for her exceptional generosity, stating, This incredible sum of money will make a huge difference to the children at Dover Park, and we can't thank Nancy enough for her kindness and support. In addition to this amazing donation, Dover Park Primary School received an extraordinary contribution in the form of a signed photograph and nine signed books from British comedian and author David Williams, a friend of Ray and Nancy. This delightful gesture will undoubtedly ignite a passion for reading among the children as they delve into the captivating stories penned by Mr Williams. Hello, this is an article read from Sue from the Island Echo. Housing developers could be forced to contribute towards island's health facilities. The Isle of Wight Council is looking to force housing developers to contribute to local health facilities and is wanting your views on the proposals. The Draft Health Contributions Supplementary Planning Document, SPD, has been prepared in partnership with the Hampshire and Isle of Wight Integrated Care Board, ICB. It means financial contributions towards new health facilities, but not dentistry, could be collected from the new development. This draft document outlines how the ICB decide what improvements to health infrastructure may be needed in particular areas of the island. These improvements would be for infrastructure only, such as new or extended health premises and not health services, for example, recruiting more GPs. Under the draft SPD, the ICB will use evidence relating to the following issues to help calculate whether contributions are required. The capacity of existing health facilities in an area, current patient list sizes, size and space standards for new health facilities, the cost of building new health facilities. The draft SPD then identifies how the amount of money a developer may have to pay towards these improvements is worked out and also what size of new development may have to pay. Councillor Paul Fuller, Cabinet Member for Planning, Waste and Flooding, has said, One of the main comments we hear from a lot of people is that we don't have adequate medical facilities such as GP surgeries to support new development. This draft document prepared in partnership with colleagues at the NHS sets out how and when new developments will be expected to pay towards the new health facilities. I look forward to people sharing their thoughts so we can bring a final SPD back to Cabinet in May when we can start using the document when making planning decisions. The consultation will run until Tuesday the 2nd of April 2024 and more information can be found at www.iow.gov.uk forward slash environment hyphen and hyphen planning. Comments can be submitted by email to policy.consultation 
at iow.gov.uk or by post to Planning Services, Seaclose Office, Fairley Road, Newport, PO302QS. Copies of the draft SPD are available to view at reception at both Seaclose Offices and County Hall. Then the walkway to reopen next month following improvements from the Isle of Wight Radio Red by Lee. A project to install new safety railings at Ventnor's Rene Howe Walk is nearing completion with a footway due to reopen to the public as scheduled on March the 8th. The 27-week scheme has involved excavating Shore Hill for new reinforced concrete foundations into which new bespoke railings have been fixed. In total, 140 metres of new railings will line the walkway as it curves down alongside Ventnor's much-loved Victorian Cascade. The entire route has been resurfaced and bollards installed to protect both pedestrians and road users. While the footway will reopen on the 8th of March, work will continue on the lower section of the footway adjacent to Shore Hill. This is due to recent wet weather delaying the pouring of concrete, leading leading to the postponement of the manufacture and installation of the bespoke bespoke railings along this section. However, this work is set to be completed in time for the Easter weekend. Temporary traffic lights will be in place at the bottom of Shore Road to enable a safe walkway for pedestrians. Project manager Nathaniel Saunders said, We would like to thank residents and businesses for their patience and support during these works, which have not been without challenges given the exposed site and extreme weather conditions experienced this winter. We hope residents and visitors will enjoy making use of the improved footway, which is a key route down to the town's seafront. The work has been undertaken outside of the main summer season with the support of a number of local contractors. This is Den reading an article from Isle of Wight Radio. Rays in E. coli water blamed for Sandown Beach Blue Flag omission. An Isle of Wight town has missed out on securing an internationally prestigious Blue Flag Award for the fourth year in a row after a rise in E. coli water quality issues were raised. It comes as the water in the sea on Sandown Beach drops down in quality rating from the Environment Agency from excellent to good under the bathing water classifications. The government body took 20 water samples from Sandown Beach in the 2023 bathing season and its readings have shown an increase in E. coli compared to 2022. Sandown Mayor Alex Lightfoot confirmed the council had been advised it would not secure the Blue Flag Award this year, so did not submit an application. Speaking at a meeting of Sandown Sandown Town Council earlier this week, Councillor Lightfoot said it was out of their control, but it does not mean the water quality now is bad. According to SWIMFO, the Environment Agency's Guide to Bathing Water, Sandown Beach has been excellent in 2022 2021 and 2019, with a year missed due to the COVID pandemic. The government body collects the water samples at different times during the designated bathing season from May to September, with strict conditions to adhere to, including being taken from 30 centimetres below the water surface and no more than 31 days between two samples. The Environment Agency says on Swimfo, the bathing water at Sandown Beach 
could be affected by discharges from nearby storm overflows when heavy rainfall overwhelms the sewerage system, but the outfalls are designed to ensure bathing compliance is not affected. Beaches at Whitecliff Bay and Yavaland have, however, retained their excellent bathing water status. Sandown would still qualify for other criteria needed to meet the blue flag status, like public toilet provision and lifeguard supervision, but would fail overall, it was told. Despite not getting the award, Councillor Lightfoot pledged to keep providing those services and said the town would apply again for the award next year if the water quality had improved. Instead, Sandown Town Council has said it will apply for the Seaside Award, which the town has previously been awarded. The Town Council has also approved mechanical raking for the sand on the beach south of Sandown Pier. This is the second part of the talking news, read by Jerry and Mary. Parkbury Hotel fire is treated as arson. A major fire at a derelict Sandown hotel is being treated as arson after the Royal Navy Explosive Ordnance Disposal Team was called to the scene at the Parkbury Hotel. The fire took place in the early hours of Saturday morning, with the Navy being called later that evening after an aerosol canister with a fire lighter attached to it was found in the building. Fire crews from Sandown, Shankling, Newport, Cowles, Ride and Ventnor were called to the scene just before 1am and an eyewitness said, I woke up and thought I could hear a road sweeper, but it was crackling noises, then I saw the blaze. It was reassuring to see so many appliances were there. It was all quite surreal and thankfully there wasn't any wind that night. The building is owned by the Carloran Group, which bought 30, 25 properties across the UK, including the Parkbury King's House and the Seafront Ocean Hotel. All three of the Sandown properties have fallen into disrepair, and Isle of Wight councillor Ian Ward said, unfortunately, the Parkbury Hotel is another victim of the scammers who bought the Ocean Hotel. While the receiver made significant progress in dealing with the Ocean, he could not achieve the same with the Parkbury. It was probably inevitable that something like this would take place. Unfortunately, the legal route of dealing with such buildings is controlled by the courts and it can take years to conclude. I understand that a potential buyer has expressed interest in the Parkbury, but it is unclear if it can be sold without complying with legal permission, as there are innocent people who have a legal interest in the property. Firefighters wore breathing apparatus and used jets, hose reels and an aerial ladder platform to tackle the flames on the second floor and in the roof space. There were no casualties and a police spokesman confirmed we are investigating the exact cause of a suspicious fire at an address in Broadway, Sandown. Custody touches hearts. Generous islanders are helping a 19-year-old Ventnor girl achieve her dreams while she still can. Cassidy Lee from Ventnor has been told that she has less than a year to live. She has suffered since birth from a number of agonising medical conditions, including a skin condition, which means she constantly suffers horrific pain and itching. She lives with chronic fatigue, spine curvature and joint dislocations. 
She is now in end-stage heart failure and is receiving palliative care. Despite all she has to endure, Cassidy is always smiling, positive and thoughtful about her friends and family. Her friend Liz Morris describes her as utterly awesome and inspiring. At the weekend, her cousin Jodie Lacey decided that she wanted to do something to help Cassidy enjoy her final months and launched an online appeal to raise 2500 After the appeal was shared by the Isle of Wight Observer and other local media, the fund on Thursday evening stood at over 14400 Jodie explained how the whole family has been moved to tears and is feeling the love from the island. She said... Cassidy is also beaming and happy. She can do some really lovely things with her mum, family and friends. The first big purchase will be a specialist wheelchair with a trip to the mainland on the cards for a test drive. The wheelchair will make a dramatic difference to Cassidy's day-to-day life and will allow her to achieve more during her days. She has also booked a mini cruise to France with her mum and her aunt and is planning a London theatre trip very soon, including a hotel stay. As well as donations from the public, local businesses have rushed to help. Donations and suggestions so far include BM Decorating, redecorating Cassidy's bedroom, Nettlecombe Farm, giving a stay in one of their holiday homes, and Corrie's Cabin in Cows, offering a to fundraise for an item or experience that she needs. Scott Anderson is auctioneering one of his guitars and Marty Osborne his snare drum, with the proceeds going to Cassidy's Fund. Flowers, manicures, horse riding, meals and photography services have also been donated. The Isle of Wight Observer is auctioning an advertising page worth £500 for Cassidy's Fund. Any business that would like to place a bid should email us on newsdesk at iwobserver.co.uk. We will also put the auction on social media over the coming days. You can contact us on the same email address if you would like to make your own offer and we will pass it on to Cassidy's family. Jodie added, We are also very grateful for the amazing response to the appeal which means Cassidy will be able to fulfil some of her dreams. We have had no idea we would raise so much. Cassidy and her mum have also been deeply touched by all the personal messages, both on social media and the GoFundMe page. If you would like to make a donation to help Cassidy enjoy her final days, then go to IOWLife-Cassidy. Isle of Wight County Press remains UK's best-selling weekly. The County Press is celebrating being announced as the UK's best-selling weekly newspaper at a time when our website continues to see enormous growth. For around 140 years, the County Press has been the trusted source of news and sports coverage for Islanders and the latest audited ABC newspaper sales data out this week reveals it now has a weekly average fully paid for circulation of 10,000 copies. 
This comes as separate Google Analytics data shows countypress.co.uk recorded around 1.32 million visitors last month, January, more than any other Isle of Wight news site, as more islanders turn online to the county press for their news. Co-editors Lucy Morgan and Laurie Little said, not only does our website have up-to-the-minute live updates on breaking news, it also boasts a full e-version of the printed newspaper. Readers are also choosing to visit us via our brand new WhatsApp channel, as well as via Facebook, Instagram and X for the island's best local news first. The way county press readers consume news is developing and we have a growing online audience with a phenomenal 30% increase in year-on-year visits to countypress.co.uk. While we have fewer newspaper readers than we used to due to the rise of the internet as per the rest of the industry, we are delighted our growth online means we now have far more readers than we ever did in print. We would also like to thank each and every one of our readers and also the local businesses who advertise with us for their continued support. All figures published for the Isle of Wight County Press, print, copy and website are audited and proven. Dentists pledge on NHS services. An award-winning dental practice, one of the oldest in the UK, established in 1877, has been sold. The Denby House NHS Dental Practice in Ride, which cares for nearly 13% of islanders, went up for sale two years ago. Taking it on is Edward Day, who runs the private St James's Clinic in Newport. He is proud to have purchased the George Street Practice, said a spokesman on Wednesday, and insists he is dedicated to offering NHS treatment to all of Denby House's registered patients. The practice in Ryde is at maximum capacity and is also the only island centre training dental professionals, dentists, nurses, technicians and therapists, the spokesman said. In December, Denby staff won Best Team in the UK at the National Dentistry Awards. Appeal after Daisy's hit and run ordeal. A dog hit by a car is recovering but there is still a long way to go, according to the animal charity supporting her. A police investigation has been launched after Daisy was struck close to Victoria Recreation Ground near Newport on Sunday, February 18th. Friends of the animals, FOTA, claimed that the vehicle involved did not stop. Hampshire and the Isle of Wight Constabulary confirmed it was called to the recreation ground at 5.30pm and confirmed the driver of the vehicle had left the scene before its officers arrived. Daisy, 14, who was on her lead at the time of the incident, was taken to Carysbrook Vets for initial emergency care. She was later transferred to the care of the People's Vet. Fota said the vehicle went over her lower back and she had suffered damage to her back legs. She was picked up from the vet on Wednesday and taken home and she remains on pain medication, a photo spokesperson said. A police spokesperson said, we are currently carrying out our inquiries, including reviewing CCTV footage in order to try and determine what has happened. 
If you can help police with their inquiries, call 101 and quote the reference number 4424007284. Any contribution towards Daisy's treatment would be very much appreciated, said Fota. On Wednesday, Daisy's veterinary bill stood at £1,733. Call FOTA on 01983-522511. Beauty spot scarred in latest case of fly tipping. The Isle of Wight Council has labelled the latest case of fly tipping as environmental vandalism after fridges and freezers were dumped in a lay-by at Adjuston near Brading. On February the 5th, it was revealed a number of items had been fly-tipped on protected and conserved land off Brading Downs Road. Now, just days later, yet more appliances have been dumped, this time in a lay-by near Upper Adjuston Road, close to Bullies Hill. Natasha Dix, the Isle of Wight Council Service Director for Waste, Environment and Planning, said, It is disappointing to see yet another case of fly tipping. There is absolutely no excuse for it, and it amounts to environmental vandalism. It blights neighbourhoods and the countryside, is a threat to yokel wildlife and livestock, is a source of pollution and a danger to public health. It is unacceptable and a continued unnecessary burden on taxpayers and the local community. If you recognise any of these appliances and paid a private waste carrier to collect them, please contact the council to report this. We would like to remind people that fly tipping can be classed as anything from one bag of household rubbish to several van loads of construction material. If it is dumped on land that does not have a licence to accept waste, it is fly-tipping and it is illegal. Anyone caught fly-tipping could be ordered to pay a £200 fixed penalty notice or the case can be taken to court where they face an unlimited fine or even imprisonment. Residents can check whether a company has a waste carrier's licence on the Environment Agency website. We know the island has one of the lowest rates of fly tipping in the southeast, but we need the public's help to keep it that way. One important way to do this is to make sure, when using a waste company to remove waste from your property, that they are registered and licensed waste carrier. The site where the appliances have been dumped is part of a designated national landscape, land that used to be known as an area of outstanding natural beauty. Albion Hotel set to reopen. Two West White beauty spots have revealed good news this week with confirmation that a hotel and cafe on the coastline will be open this summer. The Albion Hotel Freshwater Bay has told the Isle of Wight Observer that it aims to be open by June the 1st, while the Bay Cafe on Totland Pier is looking to open at the beginning of March or the beginning of April. However, hopes that the Pier by Seasons restaurant at the end of Topham Pier will open this spring have been dashed with the opening date put back. 
Last October, the Woolridge Group announced plans for the restaurant to be opened in May 2024, but the company has since announced it is to appoint administrators after almost 50 years in business. Mark Craven, Hotel Director of the Albion, confirmed, We will be open to the public on June the 1st, if not before. We are 10 days behind, but our builders, who have been working full-time, say they will make that up this week. It's been a huge project, more than we expected. We didn't think we would have to rebuild the whole building and all of its roofs. We have new heating and rewired it and done this with all our heart. It would have been easier to demolish it and start again, but we have given the 300-year-old building a new lease of life and it will be here for another couple of hundred years. It will look so much better from the outside once it has been painted and rendered, but we need some dry weather for that so it, so that it can wait until April. All our heads of staff are in place except for our heads of housekeeping and reception. It's going to be truly amazing when we are finished. Meanwhile, owner of the Bay Cafe on Tottenham Pier, Charlie Waldridge, also had some good news saying, the cafe is going to be reopened at the end of March or the beginning of April. We are in the process of organising our team of staff to take us forward. The Pier by Seasons restaurant at the end of the pier will now be delayed, possibly for another season, Charlie added. We are still working on getting open as soon as possible, but there has been some tweaking of the design inside the building. We want to make sure that we do all the works best for the restaurant and its customers. Assaulted at train station. A man who assaulted a woman at a railway station on the mainland has been sentenced. Luke Connolly of Cypress Road, Newport, appeared before Nottingham magistrates on January the 30th. The 27-year-old denied assault by beating in Nottingham on May 30th, 2023, but was found guilty at trial. He was also charged with, and admitted, a public order offence. The court heard he assaulted a woman at Attenborough Railway Station. Connolly was made subject of a 12-month community order with rehabilitation days and a £114 surcharge. Floating bridge out of action for refit work. The floating bridge will be out of service for its annual refit from March the 4th. The latest works to be undertaken include the replacement and inspection of components, including hydraulics, guide wheels and prows, as part of the periodic maintenance schedule. It will also be an opportunity to refurbish the onboard ICT system and prepare the vessel for its annual MCA inspection, the Isle of Wight Council said. Work will only last a week following maintenance undertaken in December. It is hoped the Cows to East Cows service will resume at 5am on Monday, March the 11th. A launch service for foot passengers will operate 5am to 11pm Monday to Saturday and from 6.30am on Sunday, March the 10th. Retrospective approval and houses plan. Six new houses will be built and retrospective planning permission has been granted by the Isle of Wight Council after the demolition of an abandoned property near Newport. Before any development takes place, the site's lizard and slowworm population will be rounded up and rehoused in a new habitat under the supervision of an ecologist. 
The first on Perlstone Road was demolished in 2023 without planning permission and a reptile survey of the site found development there would have a high negative impact. However, Colwell Bay Development based in Waterlooville, Hampshire has been given the green light to build on the land opposite what was Camp Hill Prison subject to 17 conditions. One nearby resident objected, saying it would have an adverse impact on Parkhurst Forest and its wildlife, would urbanise a rural area and would cause potential drainage issues. Allowing the plan, Isle of Wight Council officers noted the density of the development would be greater than what was previously on the site, but said the properties would complement the character and context of this part of Newport due to the existing surrounding properties. Earlier plans for nine homes there were submitted in 2023, but were later withdrawn without a decision. Bid to bring back the Isle of Wight Hardship Fund. The leader of the Isle of Wight Council wants to reinstate the local authorities' exceptional hardship fund, which has helped more than a thousand vulnerable islanders since it was introduced. It would mean rescinding a decision made in January at a meeting of all the members of the authority. On that occasion, the majority of councillors agreed to scrap the fund and use the money from it to increase the amount of council tax support offered to residents with low incomes. Now, under the leader's new plan, council tax support would remain at the higher level, offering a discount of up to 75%. However, Councillor Phil Jordan wants to make changes to other parts of what he has called an unfortunate amendment when councillors meet again later this month. Speaking last week, Councillor Jordan said his cabinet of leading councillors is in favour of getting the best support available to the island's most vulnerable residents. He said the cost of increasing the local council tax support scheme hadn't been taken into account. The Discretionary Exceptional Hardship Fund gives extra financial support to islanders who are eligible for the council tax support scheme and who are facing additional genuine hardship. When the fund was first started, the Isle of Wight Council set aside more than £200,000, but it was slashed to £50,000 the following year and has remained that size ever since. A Freedom of Information request has revealed the number of people being given cash from the Exceptional Hardship Fund has been going up and more than £215,000 has been paid out to 1,146 islanders. In 2022-2023, the authority went over its allocated budget with 282 successful applications sharing £54,747. Between April and December 2023, 271 applicants had come forward to ask for more support. Of those, 150 applicants shared £44,292. In January, the much-debated amendment was proposed by the leader of the Conservative group, Councillor Claire Modsell, and it was supported by 21 councillors against 14 who opposed the plan and one abstention. To fund the agreed change, County Hall had to find an additional £366,000, which meant the Exceptional Hardship Fund was removed. Seafront apartment plan turned down. 
a major redevelopment of a dilapidated building in a prominent position on Cow's Seafront has been rejected by the Government's Planning Inspectorate. Planning permission for Hamlet Court was refused and should not be demolished if the building can be retained, the Government body said. Developer and partial freehold owner Hamlet Court Regeneration wanted to pull down the nearly 200-year-old building and replace it with two luxury villas. Its plans were submitted to the Isle of Wight Council in May 2022, but County Hall did not make a decision in the statutory timeframe, so at the developer's request, the matter was passed to the planning inspectorate. The planning inspectorate said losing the waterfront villa would harm the conservation area. It said there was a lack of information to justify its demolition and pointed to an overall loss of residential accommodation, as two houses would not make up for the seven flats currently in the building. However, it recognised the poor condition of Hamlet Court and noted improved site security and the economic benefit of the plans. The design of the proposed new builds heavily glazed and incongruous against neighbouring dark roofs and smaller scale properties. Island Trail is rated as hidden gem. An island walking trail has been named the best hidden gem dog walk in the UK. The Allen Bay to Freshwater Bay Walk within the Isle of Wight's National Landscape Area, formerly called an Area of Outstanding Natural Beauty, was ranked number one on the list of ten. Outdoor dog specialist Roughwear applied dog-friendly hiking and walking and 4.5 stars and over-filters to all trails. The data was indexed by rating and the number of reviews to find the highest rated dog walks. It needed to have at least 30 reviews to be considered. While the Allen Bay to Freshwater Bay route was top, also listed was Martindale to Picawassa in the Lake District. Allen Banks to Steward Peel Circular in Hexham, Northumberland, and Shortstown Circular to Bedford in Bedfordshire. The Isle of Wight Trail is described as easy and is just over 7 kilometres in distance. Roughware said you can make this trail a circular route by going back on yourself, therefore doubling the distance. The coastal route provides views of the English Channel, which is especially beautiful on a clear day. Dogs are welcome and can be off-lead in some places, and you will also pass the Needles Old Battery and Needles Viewpoint, a National Trust site. Shanklin Rotary Cell smashes it. Shanklin Rotary's club's major community fundraising project, its annual mega sale, smashed last year's fundraising total. The sale, held between January the 9th and the 20th, raised almost £26,000. The money will be donated to various causes, including island charities, and beat last year's figure by 9000 The annual event, the biggest on the island's Rotary Club calendar, was held at the YMCA's Winchester House on Sandown Road, Shanklin. Shanklin Rotary sold anything from good quality furniture, clothing and crockery, to DVDs, a gardening equipment and books. On its opening day, in freezing conditions, there was a big queue vying for some big bargains.
The sale was run like a well-oiled military operation, relying on huge support from individuals and local organisations to collect goods from households in the Sandown Bay area beforehand. The Shanklin Rotary Club Mega Sale, which has run for almost a century, has raised well over a million pounds, organised estimate. Between 2007 and 2017 alone, the sale raised more than £330,000. Honorary Secretary Rachel Wadier said increased efficiencies means we doubled net income. Unfortunately, we still have some unusable donations which eat into income. The Shanklin Rotary Sale has traditionally been run every January for decades, gathering speed and volume as it grew until COVID-19. Over two weeks, we collect, sort, sell, deliver and recycle as much as we can within the area. Although we used to collect around £40,000 in the larger Lower Hyde venue, now unavailable, we are grateful the Shanklin YMCA have housed us over the past two years. Over the decades, we must have collected more than a million pounds since it began. Apart from a small proportion going to overseas aid, around 95% is donated to causes on the island. These range from hospice to baby clubs, from disability swimming to college prizes, from age concern to St Mary's Children's Garden and many others. The Rotary Club is a non-profit organisation and although the club is small, we have well over 40 volunteers who support us. Cyclist and van collide. A collision between a van and a cyclist prompted a police response to ride last Wednesday, February the 14th. Hampshire and Isle of Wight Constabulary said minor injuries were reported. Police were called to West Street at around 6pm and paramedics also attended. The road was closed between its junctions with Ratcliffe Avenue and Hill Street. It reopened shortly afterwards. Cars ruled out for hover service back in the 80s. In the county press 40 years ago in February 1984, the idea of a car hover service to the island was ruled out. A car-carrying, roll-on, roll-off hovercraft service across the Solent was found to be both technically and operationally feasible. Island councillors were told. However... Several factors, including the introduction of Sealink's new super ferries, meant that it was not a viable proposition. The Council Working Party said the idea would be more suited to ferry routes in other parts of Europe and the rest of the world. In other news, hoteliers and owners of places of interest were being urged to support a new scheme for cut-price air charter packages holidays to the island from the continent and major UK cities from 1985. On the front page, the newspaper said that works to a sewer problem would alleviate traffic issues along Fairley Road in Newport. There had been traffic snarl-ups in the mornings while works were undertaken. One injured in a collision. A person escaped with minor injuries, police said, after a crash on the main road between Sandown and Brading on Saturday, February the 17th. 
At around 7pm, a report of a collision on Morton Common saw a call-out for emergency crews. The incident involved a single vehicle, a grey Peugeot. An eyewitness saw a vehicle in a hedgerow near Greenwood Lane. Car in field. A car left the road and ploughed into a field near Kelbourne last Friday morning. It is understood the vehicle, a silver VW Golf, left the road and went through a hedge near to the junctions with Brook Road and Dob Pitts Lane off Middle Road. It's believed it was travelling in the Newport direction at the time at around 7am. The road remained open. There were no injuries. Pony throws a rider in dog attack drama. An appeal for information has been launched after a pony was reportedly chased by a greyhound on Apley Beach Ride on Saturday, February the 17th. Donna Skeldon was riding 12-year-old pony Georgia at around 9.30am when she said a greyhound attacked. She said we were galloping across the beach and a greyhound just came flying across and attacked Georgia's legs. I came off, still holding the reins, and tried to beat the dog away. Eventually I had to let go for safety, and that was it. Georgia was gone. Georgia's owner, Louise Mills from Binstead, said it was horrendous. Georgia was bucking, and that caused Donna to fall off. Donna was left bruised and tender by the incident. I got up to the gate on Apley Lane, and a holidaymaker gave me a lift, said Donna. It was terrifying trying to calm the horse and get the dog away at the same time, and it all happened so quickly. The pony ran off the beach and along Apley Lane with the dog running behind, Louisa told the county press. She and Donna drove from Metalstone and found Georgia near Puckpool Park, very stiff, very shaken up. The dog was gone by the time we found her, Louisa said. She was coming straight at us and it looked like she was going home. It was really scary. We put our car across the road and I managed to jump out and grab her. She was so fearful, normally she would stop, but I had to chase her for a while. Luckily she doesn't seem to be seriously injured, but now we will see have to see exactly how she is. Louisa's husband Steve said a left turn would have put Georgia on Marlborough Road and who knows what would have happened. Louisa says she wants an apology from the dog's owner and has called for pet owners to keep dogs under control. Ride Beach lifeguards were among those who tried to step in to help. If you have any information, you are asked to call 101 and, and quote INC-2024-0217-2024. Temporary bus changes. A temporary bus timetable for Southern Vectors Route 3 has been introduced due to the ongoing closure of Leeson Road, Bonchurch, following the landslide in December. Passengers using the bus route will see times changed by up to five minutes to accommodate the altered route. Services between Shankland Daish Hotel and Chimney Steps remain suspended and the nearest stops are Ventnor's Trinity Church and Shankland Community Centre. Fun at the 5th Isle of Wight Story Festival. Comedy star Alastair Beckett-King and best-selling author Kez Gray were among top names at the 5th Annual Isle of Wight Story Festival. The festival featured workshops and hands-on experiences aimed at bringing literature to life for young audiences. 
The event had mocked the week's Beckett King chatting about his children's detective series, Why Oi Frog author Kes Gray hosted a book signing. The festival shone a spotlight on local talent, which featured Horsebox Theatre's sold-out performance of Vincent and the Mermaids, based on Ireland author's Jules Mariner's book. Schoolchildren were entertained by a songwriting workshop, a talk on graffiti art, and Kate Weston speaking about her murder mystery novel. Julian Doyle discussed the legendary Monty Python films and the editing process and was interviewed by BAFTA-nominated filmmaker James Clark. Further highlights included poet John Hegley, who sang quirky ukulele songs as Ireland-based artist Neil Layton drew illustrations. Festival favourite Kieran Larwood appeared alongside Gerald Dickings, the great-great-grandson of Charles Dickens, who shared winning stories from a school competition. There was a presentation by Francesca Simon, creator of the Horrid Henry books, and a classic character sketching class by author Harriet Muncaster. The packed programme also included Ireland musician and author Simon Whitworth's presentation of his debut novel, together with workshops ranging from Indian dance to model making and musical storytelling. Festival organisers promise a sixth event next year with details to be announced soon. Council tax hike one step closer. A near 5% council tax increase is a step closer for Isle of Wight residents. The Isle of Wight Council's leading cabinet members have approved budget proposals for 2024-2025. If the plans are passed, the potential increase in council tax could see the average Band D resident pay £1,908.39 a year towards services. The Alliance Administration's plans include increased fees for cremations and marriages, reduced hours at the Council's contact centre and £400,000 used to fund highway drainage schemes to reduce flooding. The proposals will have to cross the final hurdle, a meeting of all 39 members of the Isle of Wight Council on Wednesday. It is likely alternative plans will also be submitted. Council leader, Councillor Phil Jordan, said this year's budget is a change to previous ones. He is billing it as a more positive approach. Councillor Jordan said money has been committed to providing affordable homes, a freeze on parking and floating bridge charges and to providing cash to discount travel for islanders crossing the Solent for NHS hospital treatment and appointments. Councillor Ian Stevens, the finance lead, said the Alliance's budget looks after today and the future as well and he said the group's members had come up with a robust budget in challenging times which shows our prudence and responsibility. Councillor Stevens noted an extra £3 million which has been handed to County Hall by the Government, recognising the extra cost of delivering services here. But he said, although the extra cash helped the medicine go down, but did not solve the issue, a report by the local authority claimed £28 million is needed to offset the cost of being offshore. 
Councillor Stevens warned things may get worse before they get better, which means councillors need to make sure County Hall is resilient and has the financial headroom it needs in its reserves. As part of its budget budget plans, the council has had to factor in a 1.2 million structural deficit, which will be covered from the authority's general reserves saving pot. And now we have white memories and nostalgia. Village is quiet and quirky life. Alverstone, it is fair to say, is not terribly famous. It once had a railway station, it once had a mill, and it is undeniably a very pretty village. But that's about it, really. As for the mill, that was closed just after the end of the First World War, when imported cheap grain from Canada started to be ground in a huge mill on the quayside at Southampton Docks. Pre-war, there were nearly 30 working mills on the Isle of Wight, but Solent Mills has halved that number by 1920, Alverstone being among one of the casualties. As for the Newport, as for the railway, the line from Newport to Sandown opened in 1875. It went bankrupt before it opened and never made a penny first nor last. As the local media correctly predicted in 1878 that the people of Horringford might wish to visit the people of Blackwater was reasonable and proper to suppose, but the railway company could not really expect them to do it, often enough to make the line pay. The line closed in 1956. In April 1959, Jennifer Lowell, 14, a pupil at Fairway County School, Sandown, wrote a letter to the county press from her home, Anzac Farm in Alverston, detailing the virtues, or otherwise, of her village. Her letter is a witty masterpiece and appears here virtually in all its entirety. It reads, Alverstone is just a small village, roughly about three to four miles from Sandown. If you were to go by the small bus, but if you walk along the tattered railway line, you could take about 20 minutes and the distance is just over a mile. In 1954, rumours spread that the train would be taken away and the station would be closed down. This has proved true and we are now greatly honoured by a small coach which the bus company call a bus. The bus service is dreadful. We have eight buses a day and we have no buses at all on Sundays. So instead of going out, we have to stay at home and watch the television. There was once the old mill, but it's no longer used now. By the mill runs the River Yar. This is one good point we are very proud of. Although it is now falling away and the water wheel is old, dilapidated and green with age, we still get a lot of people to see it in the summer, when we get any. On the river are boats which the public can hire and enjoy perhaps an hour's boating or more. We are known as a farming village, although there are only seven farms around about and there are only 23 houses, of which two are empty. We have the huge population of 73. In the summer, Elverston Tea Gardens are open, but even they close at about 7 o'clock. The people of Elverston are no people for drinking beer, and so there is no pub. The nearest one is either a nice walk to Lake, to the Stag Inn, or a walk to Newchurch. On Thursday nights there was once a club for the young ones, 
but that has been closed down as there was not enough people that went. We had great fun and played different games, including table tennis and darts, while the male of the youth played billiards and snooker, while others danced modern rock and old-time dancing. Every Tuesday night there is a whist drive at 7.30pm and the old folk turn up from as far away as Ride, Shanklin and Lake. There was once a post office at Elverston, but that has been taken away, although we still have a letterbox. By now, you may think we are not very modern, and we walk about holding candles, but we have electricity, and also we have three road lights, two of which are in working order. The houses in Elverston are mainly old, and from the outside they all look it, but inside most of them have been redecorated. We have one market gardener who is kept very busy as he has to supply some flowers for the whole of the village folk. The oldest resident is Mrs Plumley, who is 87. If you want to know any more, you must come to Elverstone and see for yourselves what a quiet place it is, but at the same time see how friendly we all are. My View, Vectus View, by Charles Lansley, second, Shanklin's second homeowner. The council will be voting on Wednesday, February the 28th, whether to double the council tax for the second homeowners. There are many on the island who will not be able to stay if this goes ahead. With the present council tax and the high ferry prices, it is only just affordable. A doubling in tax will just make it unaffordable for many who will then be forced off the island, reducing the expected revenue. Not all second-time owners have pots of cash. Many choose to save money for modest second homes in the UK, rather than spending cash on overseas holidays with a greater carbon footprint. And they don't just visit for weekends or holidays – Many also choose the island because of centuries-old family heritage, which through generations has underpinned the island's businesses, finances and communities. My family's roots in the retail business go back generations, including my great-uncles, Edward Morris Stores in Newport, Cows and Freshwater, and my great-grandmother, Harriet Morris's Grocery Store in East Cows. My family also had a strong naval heritage on the island, with my great-uncle, Adolphus William Stark, an officer in the Royal Navy, lost at sea in 1917, aboard HMS Drake. My father, brought up in Wooden and retiring to Alveston Garden Village, also served his country during World War II as a radio officer in the Merchant Navy, surviving a torpedo attack on his ship MV Wandby in 1940. I feel it would be an affront to their memory to force their descendants off the island through a tax increase that makes it financially impossible to stay. I have also contributed to the island's community by giving talks to local organisations on my father, Peter Stark Lansley's book, Pon My Puff, A Childhood in 1920s Isle of Wight, which I edited for publication in 2021. My first house was in Newport, and my son is going to maintain the island link 
by marrying a woman who was born and raised in Bembridge in August this year. I purchased a small muse cottage on the island after my mother's death to maintain my link with my heritage, whilst at the same time keeping my home on the mainland to continue my family commitments. The house had been on the market for more than six months when I first viewed it, so I did not deprive any island residents of the opportunity to buy it. Currently, on right move, there also seems to be a considerable amount of low-cost properties which have been on the market for six months or more. I believe that driving those second home owners off the island who do not rent out their properties will not increase the Isle of Wight Council's revenue and in fact will have the opposite effect. It is by no means certain that this proposal will raise the anticipated funds. It could backfire, leaving islanders no better off. I therefore strongly urge councillors to vote against this proposal on February the 28th so that those second home owners who spend time on the island every month of the year contributing to island life and its economy will not be unfairly penalised or worse, driven off the island altogether. I believe that many second home owners make a significant contribution to the island's economy and employment and that they are not all hooray Henrys. Public information now. Planning rules are better, but we need to act, says Bob Seeley, MP. I was out last week in the Camp Road area of Freshwater, chatting to islanders about what I believe is an inappropriate development there. And it got me thinking that it would be a good time to explain what's been happening in housing. We won a major victory late last year working with the government to improve planning policy. Islands such as the Isle of Wight can now more easily argue for exceptional circumstances should councillors decide to do so. That means in future two things can happen. We can protect more of our countryside and we can focus on building for islanders. I believe we should take this opportunity to rule out large-scale, low-density greenfield development. They are wrong for the island. Instead, we can plan for small-scale, greener developments in existing communities for islanders. Other new rules planners need to pay greater respect to, the character of an area and houses built need to be attractive so an end to ugly developments. There is also increased protection for agricultural land and more focus on brownfield sites in cities which should mean less pressure on the countryside. On the island too, the Isle of Wight Council is using cash made available by this Conservative government to buy brownfield sites for affordable housing. Islanders also say to me people need somewhere to live, and I agree. By arguing for exceptional circumstances, we can focus on building for islanders. So yes, I want the island to have lower housing targets to protect our landscape, but I want almost all housing built to be housing for islanders who are struggling to find somewhere to live. It's been my goal to deliver a planning system which is community-led, environment-led, and which drives regeneration, a system which is better for the island. Councillors now need to decide to act. I have no doubt that there will be opposition to change, 
but this is where councillors need to show leadership and insist on producing a plan which is better for our natural world and better for islanders too. I have yet to meet an islander who does not believe the island should not have special circumstances. I hope councillors remember that when they decide whether to argue for the island's unique and exceptional circumstances. What's on? Arsenal legend to talk about career. Arsenal football legend and renowned Sky Sports pundit Paul Merson is gearing up to captivate Ireland audiences with a live and unscripted interview later this year. The exclusive seamless entertainment event at Newport's Matina Theatre promises an unforgettable experience for football enthusiasts and admirers of Merson's illustrious career. During the live interview, Merson will provide a candid glimpse into his life, both on and off the pitch, sharing career highlights and inner perspectives on the world of football. Audience members will also have the opportunity to engage with Merson during a dynamic question-and-answer session. Adding to the excitement, the event will feature a selection of sporting memorabilia, celebrating legends past and present, along with a charity silent auction. During his career, he bagged 21 cups for England and represented the nation at Euro 92 and the 1998 World Cup. Beyond his on-field exploits, Merson has carved out a distinguished career as a pundit and commentator for Sky Sports, offering insightful analysis and commentary to millions of viewers worldwide. Scheduled for October the 21st, visitors can enjoy a VIP meet and greet session starting at 6pm, followed by an intimate live interview with the show host from 7.30pm. Tickets are available now from the Medina Theatre website. See the dinosaurs. There is free entry to Dinosaur Isle Museum in Yaviland on Sunday from 10am until 4pm. The last admission is at 3pm. See new finds from local fossil collectors and take part in lots of exciting activities and and exhibitions. Free parking. Shankland Theatre. Sunday the 25th of February at 7 o'clock, David Suchet. On Friday the 1st of March at 7.30pm, the story of Guitar Heroes. On Wednesday the 6th and 7th of March at 730 Mad About Musicals. Tuesday the 26th and Wednesday the 27th of March at 6.30, Monster Mate. Monster Mayhem First Act Diabetes Drop-In On the fourth Wednesday of each month from 10am to midday Diabetes Group Isle of Wight are hosting a Gurnard Drop-In support group for people living with diabetes or anyone who cares for someone living with the condition It will be at All Saints Church in Gurnard in the garden room to the left of the church entrance Letters. Lavatories are vital in town. By Edward Lyon from Sandown. What on earth is the point of spending a fortune on improvements in ride if there isn't a single decent public lavatory available in town? 
The Portaloos are better than nothing. But why is it taking such an age to build the new lavatory block? And why is the men's lavatory at the top of the town permanently closed? Also, it is all poshed up at the Esplanade and there's a great walkway up the pier. But is the shanty town at the pier head over the station and ferry entrance being removed? Or is it to remain as our welcome to tourists? Why doesn't the council find a company willing to open up their lavatory to the public, like the superb one at Seaview Hotel? I presume the hotel gained something for doing so. Perhaps Weatherspoons, for a consideration, were considering opening up their excellent ones too. It does guarantee they are kept open and not likely to be vandalised. I never know why the co-op one is so frequently closed. I don't know where they expect their cafe customers to go after their coffees. Surely there are many restaurants and hotels on the island willing to join in with such a public-spirited action. After all, many of our residents and loads of our much-needed visitors are on the elderly side and good, well-maintained lavatories are an enormous plus for encouraging their return. Heidi Nightingale writes about extreme pressure. I feel compelled to provide a glimpse of the extreme pressure Isle of Wight coroner Caroline Summeray is under. Mrs Summeray very kindly rang me a couple of weeks ago to explain the reasonings behind the delay to my husband's inquest. My beloved husband Graham unfortunately died in a motorbike accident on May the 21st, 2022. His inquest is still to take place, despite nothing untoward having been found, nor any litigation taking place. I have inquired a number of times as to why. Last year, my contact was apparently having to constantly chase the police for the investigative report. A lovely lady took my last call and said she would make inquiries. The report was sent last September, some 16 months after the accident. Until the coroner's office received this report, nothing can proceed. Imagine my surprise when Mrs Summeray rang me one evening. I explained how I was wishing to merely find some answers and she opened up about her challenges. I write this as a widow who is desperate for closure but also who firmly believes in all side of stories being heard. As a footnote, Graham's inquest is not likely to be heard for quite some time yet. Haven Street Needs Buses by Jean Downer from Haven Street. Southern Vectors Buses, County Press, 16th of February 24. Is there any chance that some of the money which has become available could be used to reinstate a bus service through Haven Street? The village, which is extending, has been without buses now for several years. Many elderly people live here and when they no longer are able to drive, feel isolated. Also, young families are resistant to move in due to a lack of buses to get children to school. In addition to this, one of the main island's attractions, namely the Isle of Wight Steam Railway, could benefit. All I ask is that some service could be provided if only two or three day a day, as other smaller villages have regular services frequently through, during the day. John Nuttall of Ride writes Lou Shambles. 
Regarding the new toilets at Ride Interchange, the County Press 16th of February 24, I see Ride Town Council is going to have to pay to clean them, or should I say the people of Ride. Total incompetence springs to mind. Why on earth did they remove the existing ones? They could have been upgraded and benefited tourists and locals, which would have been the best solution. The so-called new hub bus station is a complete shambles. Buses park the same way, completely dominating the esplanade and taxi cabs in the wrong place. I speak as one elderly resident. I know we cannot live in the past, but this could have been done so much better. Dental Desert. Richard Quigley, Councillor of Cows North, Isle of Wight Labour Chair. Having seen the report about the new mobile dentist service, any additional dentistry on the island is very welcome. We are all acutely aware of the dental desert that the island has become over the last 14 years, and I commend the charity that runs the service, but five days a month over 18 months will hardly return the smiles to those that have resorted to managing their own dental care. I have spoken to three separate dentists on the island. The biggest barrier to them extending their NHS practice is this government and its refusal to listen to the plan they have put forward. MP Bob Seeley had the chance to vote in favour of Labour amendment to provide 700,000 additional NHS dentist appointments, a detailed workforce plan and targeted recruitment for communities like ours that need them along the reforming the NHS dentistry contract so everyone that needs an NHS dentist can get one. He voted against putting his party before the island. He and his party are getting in the way of real action being taken. Monk's Haven by Dr Ian Saxon from Braiding. Dear Editor, my wife and I moved to our lovely little island eight years ago, but I have been housebound ever since due to temporarily losing the use of my legs and having to learn to walk again. We have recently been going out together and a whole new life has opened up to me. Every day is an adventure and I live one day at a time. We are very grateful to Sandown District nurses, especially Sandra, Tomo and Medicia. Now comes the funny bit. We were aiming to go to the Monkey Haven, but we got off at the wrong stop, so to speak, and ended up at Quar Abbey. We asked, is this the Monkey Haven? And a very nice man in his brown habit said, no sir, this is a haven for monks. Happy times and places. And it's a goodbye from Jerry and Mary. The BBC In Touch programme follows. There is no scaffolding news this week. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. So we're going to have a little touch tour now of some of the characters in Mix Maps. I'm in a small studio in Cheshire, McKinnon and Saunders, which is the home of some of the most iconic animations in children's TV and film. Fantastic Mr Fox, Bob the Builder, Postman, Pat. Puppets of these characters are all round this room and behind where I'm sitting. So could the Mix-Mups be the next on the list? The Mix-Mups are the creation of Rebecca Atkins. 
Atkinson, who is also the uh, executive producer of the show. So first of all, we're going to start with Pocket the Bear. I'm going to hand you Pocket the Bear. She's about nine inches tall. Oh, yeah. She's a, a blue bear with curly... What's this thing hanging down? Oh, it's a, is that her white cane? She's quite tough, so you don't need to worry. I've just about knocked her, her over. Like yeah. um, so, Pockets of Bear is partially sighted. She's got tunnel vision, which is the same as me. So, she has got glasses on, very wide glasses with tiny little stars on the corner. And then she's carrying a white cane. So, my white cane's got a pink handle. So, this white cane has also got a pink handle. Right, so it shows up well. Yeah. Yeah. And then she's got tiny little pockets on her body, which you might be able to feel just here. And here there's three of them. Yeah, I've got one. Basically, I designed this character because I felt that visually impaired people like to know where things are. (laughs) So she is a VI character who's got pockets so she can keep all her things safely around her and know where things are. If you want to, you can manipulate these joints. You can feel inside that there's an armature which is like a skeleton that's got ball and socket joints in it. And that allows the animators to move the limbs just a fraction, take a photo, move it another fraction, take a photo. And then when you put all those photos together, you've got the magic of animation and and movement and they come to life. Right. And obviously anyone who uses a white cane knows about the kind of the click-clack opening of the white cane, you know, when you drop it and it goes click-clack, click-clack. Do you mean that? That's it. (laughs) We all know that sound very well. Yeah. You've got in your hand a full-size, your white cane. I'm now going to pass you a miniature version of a folded white cane. <laughs> it doesn't unfold, so it's a solid model. Right. And part of the reason I wanted to put a white cane on is because there is a lot of stigma around using white canes. And I know when I needed to start using one, I felt a lot of feelings about using a white cane. So I just wanted to normalise it for children, because I know that also there are children who could benefit from using what is essentially a, a wonderful tool of mobility. Indeed, I'm um, very fond but, of my white cane. Yeah, but, yeah. but people Can I don't. hand this back to yep, you? sure. There you go. So this is the next one, which is sort of slightly unfolded, so you can feel it click-clacking out there in the next <laughs> stage. So if you take a photograph of each of these in Pockets' hand, mm. then they animated put them all together and it appears to unfold just yeah. like a real one. I'm Pocket the Bear. I have a guide dog called Yapet, who helps me get around safely and not bump into things I might not see. Yapet has brown fur, a funny red clown nose. She wears a white and red spotty guide dog harness. Sometimes I use a white cane too. So just like in my own life as a VI person, I use a combination of a guide dog and a white cane and nothing, you know. So when this character's at home, she doesn't use a guide dog or a white cane because she's in her home environment. But when they go out on adventures, she will either use the cane or the dog, mm. depending on the environment and the terrain and yeah. all the rest of it. And just tell me briefly who her friends are. So their friends are coming in at 12 o'clock. Yeah. That's Spin. And That's... he is a red rabbit. <laughs> He's non-disabled. You'll feel he's got quite tall ears. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we did when we were designing this was consult visually impaired children about what they wanted to see or feel in these characters. And one of the things that came back is we wanted to have different textures so that if these characters ever made it into being toys, Ah. that a blind child could pick them up and know by touch primarily of the ears and of the texture of the fur, who they were. So his ears, they stick right up. Yeah, that's they, it. They that's stick it. right up. And also, if they were ever toys, we wanted them to smell. So Fred, 
who's a young man now, he's 14, but he started consulting on mix-mups when he was probably seven. He said, I, I would want mix-mup toys to have different scents, just in the way that your grandma has a scent or your parents have a scent. He wanted these characters to have a scent. So they don't smell at the moment, but if they're ever toys... If they're ever they, toys, they're going to. Then that's the idea. So right. that's spin. Coming up in front of you, there, got there it. you go. Yeah. That is Giggle the cat. She has got a wheelchair. Oh, yes, I see. So you'll feel a wheelchair. A wheelchair there, yeah. The other thing about her yeah. is that her body shape, the armature inside her body has actually got curvature of the spine to give her an authentic gait. And the whole idea is just introducing these elements almost... Under the surface, as That's it were. That's right. So yeah. it's very, very subtle. So this is not a show about disability. It's a show about magic and mixing. I shall give you now the wooden spoon, the magical wooden spoon. <laughs> so in front of you, just beneath your hand, is a box. Yep. And it's got a hole in the middle and four wheels. It's blue. It's got yellow stars all over it. Mm. So in each episode, the friends mix up an adventure, so they decide something like, we want to go to the moon and and eat a cheese sandwich on the moon. They place objects into this box. They take their magical wooden spoon and they mix up the magic inside the box with that spoon, just as you just did then. Um, They get sucked inside the box and they go off on an adventure. The lovely textures. I mean, even the box is really pleasing. And the idea really is that it's all about... Mixing up the magic of play and imagination in all children, but it's executed with characters that have got lived experience of disability. Rebecca, take me back to the beginning. Where did the idea of the Mix Mups come from? The very, very beginning of Mix Mups actually started in something called the Toy Like Me campaign, which in 2015 I was tidying up my kids' playroom and I noticed there were absolutely no representations of disabled toys. All I could find was grey sort of wheelchair figures, grandparents or people who've got a temporary impairment like breaking their leg. So I began something called the Toy Like Me campaign where I made over toys with tiny little model hearing aids. So I had a photograph of Tinkerbell, put them online and they went viral um, with lots of people saying, oh my word, I really want to buy this. Where can I get this? And I realised then that there was a big need for representation, positive representation in children's industries. I mean, you have both a visual loss and a hearing loss. Was this something, this lack of toys that represent, was it? something you've been aware of yourself you know as a child yeah so I grew up hard of hearing and I wore hearing aids and I never ever saw anybody on tv that had hearing aids and I think that led to a sense of shame I never wore my hair up until I was about 21 and then as I grew up I had uh, an eyesight condition RP which caused me to acquire tunnel vision And I had to go through a process with that of getting a guide dog and getting a white cane and really sort of having to face my internalised perception of what visual impairment was all about. And that led me to sort of think about where we absorb those ideas from. And if we don't see positive representation of visual impairment, then it can seem like a much scarier place than it really is. So I did a bit of consultation work for a global toy brand But what came back after quite a lot of very creative consultation was one of their characters with dark black wraparound glasses as a visually impaired person. And at that point, my heart sunk because that is an enduring stereotype of blind Mm. people. 
And it was at that point that I thought, okay, I've done all I can in terms of campaigning for this. I've consulted these toy brands and they're still not getting it right. I'm going to have to do this myself. Mm. But what I really wanted to look at and really dig down into storytelling and why representation keeps building the same narrative generation after generation, mm. I wanted to find something that was universal. And in childhood, there's one thing that's universal, and that is play. And so I built the Mix Mops brand around the magic of play and imagination. Hidden about my garden are some really special eggs. But it's not just about looking for eggs. You have to listen too. As you get near, the eggs will beep to give you a clue where they are. Did you hear that beep? Mixmups is the only disabled-led brand. Mm. And so it speaks from the community with a, a lived experience and an authenticity. There isn't anything else out there like that. Mm. Now, you've told me about the kind of the actual physical being of these animals, but what is the idea that you're really trying to get across? I don't think there is one idea. I think there's multiple ideas. But one of the taglines that is in the show at the end of each episode when they find a solution to the problem is that the lucky Louver bird, who's the adult figure, she says, yes, there's always another way. It's a metaphor, really, for problem solving, but it's also a metaphor for disability living. Because for me, living with a disability is about innovation, it's about always looking for a different way to do things. Yeah, I mean, I've watched the one about them having races and they all raced in slightly different ways. Yeah, yeah. so that episode, it's kind of sports day episode. Yay! I won! You're too fast, Giggle! I'm faster than you because I've got wheels. Maybe this is just a race that Giggle is really good at. Perhaps it's time for a different kind of race? This is the beanbag race. You need to be slow and steady to win this one. Uh Woo! And the winner! Oh, that's not fair. Pockets weren't even going very fast. Well, sometimes it's the most careful person, not the fastest, that wins. In traditional storytelling around disability might be told as in, oh, well, the more able people hung back and allowed the disabled people to win and isn't that nice and aren't they virtuous by doing that? But in actual fact, it's much more interesting and and novel and fresher to tell that story from a different perspective, which is actually, if we change the type of race and we run three different kind of races, each of us will be the winner of one of those races. Spin ends up winning the zigzag race where they do a zigzag course, which is obviously harder for the guide dog user to get round and harder for the wheelchair user. So he finally manages to slow them down. So there's always a subversion with mix-up storytelling. And it's about introducing children to the concept of environmental and attitudinal and social barriers. What about the actors here? Because one of the things which intrigued me is that... The actors' disabilities don't coincide with the disabilities of the characters that they play. Well, there's four characters in Mix Mops, two of whom have got disabilities and two of whom haven't. 
But it was really important for me to cast the entire cast using disabled actors. The reason being that there is absolutely tons of disabled talent out there that often gets overlooked. However, although there is a lot of talent out there, it is a limited pool. And so trying to match the disability with the actor, with the right character for the character is such a matrix of needs that we had to compromise on some. The characters that play the children in Mix Mups are all disabled, but they don't have matching impairments. The lucky Louverbird, who's not visually impaired in the series, is played by a visually impaired actor. My name is Gillian Dean. I voice the character of the lucky Louverbird, and her catchphrase is, As I say, that's always another way. <laughs> Tell me, Gillian, what was it about the role that appealed to you? I mean, I didn't know when I first went for the role what Rebecca's vision for the Louverbird was. So all I knew about her was that she was going to be quite a compassionate, caring, supportive, guiding sort of a character, which is, you know, a lovely thing to be. But I was particularly excited by the fact that she's quite eccentric and that each week she would be playing a different character. So she'd be doing a different voice and a different kind of personality every week. I mean, what a treat. And it was the Norfolk accent that I think Rebecca was so keen on having, wasn't it? Yes, and I didn't know about that. She was, well, she wasn't sneaky, but it wasn't there in the brief. It said sort of regional accent preferred. And and I mean, as you can tell, I don't have a natural Norfolk accent, but I've lived in Norfolk since I was seven years old. I've lived amongst the accent. You know, a lot of my friends have a natural Norfolk accent. And I only thought at the last minute to include a Norfolk accent tape, which fortunately I put right at the beginning. Now, your character, the lucky Liverbird, doesn't have a disability. You have a visual impairment. Uh Some of the other actors have disabilities, but not the ones that correspond to their characters. What does that say about the philosophy really behind the show? I mean, you mentioned that the lucky Louverbird doesn't have a disability. We don't know that she has a disability. She certainly hasn't disclosed one and she doesn't have a visible disability. But there's nothing to say she doesn't have a disability and has just not brought it up. But I think in terms of casting disabled actors in this way, what you're doing is you are facilitating disabled actors to get work but also you know you are casting the right actor for the role rather than the right disability for the role and I think that's really really important because that way it takes it back to an issue of it being about craft rather than it being simply focused on what your disability is. There are certainly a few episodes that are a bit more focused on the experience of those characters as disabled people But ultimately, the programme just sort of says, here are these characters. Sometimes one of them might do something a bit differently to the way that you might. You know, it just sort of, I think it's really good for showing children that their friends, their family, their teachers might occasionally do something a bit differently from the way they do. But it's fine. It's not a big deal. And we can all just carry on. (laughs) Hence the catchphrase, of course. (laughs) Yeah, I have said that in so many different ways. It has been a genuine delight trying to find different ways of putting inflection into it. The Lucky Louverbird's pirate catchphrase might sound a bit like, as I say, there's always another way. (laughs) And the Lucky Louverbird's robot's catchphrase might sound a little like this. As I say, there's always another way. (laughs) (laughs) What's the next step for this? I mean, you've got a 52 
part series, which is great. What happens now? We're still in production for the next year. Only 10 episodes of this show have actually gone out yet. There's 10 more coming at the beginning of March. And then we don't know yet. A lot of it will be dependent on what the audience reception is, what people think of it. Um, But I'd very much like to keep going if we can and get Mixed Mups to be a bit of a mainstay in children's television because I think that there's 150 million disabled children in the world and until now they haven't really been culturally included. And I think because I'm a disabled creator, I'm able to think about access right from the beginning rather than just tag it on the end. So the production design of Mixed Mups is all high contrast, it's all low visual clutter. So if you're a child who's got some useful vision partially sighted, then there's less processing that you need to be able to sit back and enjoy it. And whether you're five or 55, you can catch Rebecca Atkinson's creations, The Mix Mups, just after eight on Saturday and Sunday mornings on Channel 5's Milkshake segment. You can tell us your reactions. We'd love to hear them. Also, advance notice of a technology fair along the lines of Sight Village, which a lot of visually impaired people will know about, which is being held at the Europa Hotel in Belfast on uh, Wednesday the 28th of February. It's believed to be the first of its type on this scale in Northern Ireland, with a whole range of technology and other services for visually impaired people on display. And we're planning to be there as well. And we'd also be happy to hear of any stories relating to visually impaired people in Northern Ireland that you think we should be covering. You can uh, email in touch at bbc.co.uk. You can leave voice messages on 0161 836 1338. And there's more information on our website, bbc.co.uk forward slash in touch. From me, Peter White, producer Beth Hemmings, the Mix Mups team and studio managers Tom Parnell and Carwin Griffith. Goodbye.